Hey everybody, welcome to Beyond Sunday, Joel and Rob's podcast. Robert, how are you? I'm good, Joseph. It's good I'm to feeling, hear. what's the word that Allison said? Cantankerous. No, you're, you're feeling, <laughs> let me put it in a, you're, you're feeling energized. You have energy this morning. Is that better? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure I know what cantankerous means. <laughs> Uh, well, it's good to be back. We've had a couple weeks off. It's been, uh, we've had other things we've been doing around here. The just last a few. few weeks, just a few. <laughs> just a few. But we want to get back and finish up our um, series. Uh, but first, I've got a theme song for us. You know, I'm again in this place where I think, like, did we play this one? I don't know. Anyways. We've done so many. We've done so many. Um, anyways. I'm not going to give you any hints. Okay. Um, well, actually, I will give you a couple of hints. Well, thanks. No, um, only um, music. There's no singing at all in this one. And you hear the music, and you immediately know what decade it's from. Immediately. Oh, that's okay? interesting. Immediately. <laughs> at least I did. It's kind of, that makes me think it's, well... Set you up right there. Yeah, it could be 80s. 80s is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Here we go. I love the wah-wah. What's screeching? That's a synthesizer. Well, what decade is it? Seventies? Yes. It's got like a Herbie Hancock vibe to it. Do you know what it is, Allison? I do. I do. You do? Oh, oh my God. I, I have no idea. And you don't? Uh, okay, it's police. I, I'm guessing something policey. It's policey. It's an action. It's an action-packed show. Yep. So I'm thinking something like police. Keep going. Detective. Keep parsing it. Yep. Uh, Detectives. Like Kojak or... Kojak. I don't know. <laughs> I was born in the late seventies. I, I I don't know. You will once I tell you not. So you're 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 close. Two detectives, two detectives. To buddy did chips. It's not chips. Two. It's a buddy cop. I think they're um, detectives. Story made into a movie in the mm-hmm. early two thousands. Oh come on then, Rob. Good gravy. I'm impressed. Allison knows it. Made really too impressed. I watched a handful of them as a kid because it was reruns in the 80s. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Turner and Hooch. I don't know. Is that ever a show? It recently on Disney Plus, but now. <laughs> yeah. Should I tell you? It sounds like that. It sounds like that. The title sounds Should like I that. tell you? Yes. It's two, two names. Okay. Two names. I'm guessing that it is two names, yeah. I, I don't know. Starsky and Hutch. Oh! Yeah, I was never going to get that in a million years. Really? Never. Never saw an episode, ever. Oh, man. But yeah, I'm made into a movie with uh, Ben Affleck and Owen Wilson. No. Owen no? Wilson no? and Ben Stiller. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Ben Stiller. I was close. That. Come on. You didn't say it. You're such a cinephile. You didn't say it. There's a big difference. I was picturing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I was picturing Ben Stiller's face when I said Ben Affleck. But you're right. I was wrong. I admit it. <laughs> Go ahead. So we're in the midst of this series called The Church Is Not What It Once Was. Yep. And we've been tracking the American church throughout kind of the 20th century. Started uh, with fundamentalism. Fundamentalism gave rise to evangelicalism. And then there was the mainline churches, which we are... Which always of. existed. I mean, fundamentalism came out at all, like, yes. right? It was an offshoot out of mainline. Yes, it was all fundamentalism. Yes, yeah. good, good point. Yeah. But there was the rise of evangelicalism, which then led to the response of the mainline church. Yep. And we spent some time talking about that. You'll find those in our previous episodes. But now we want to. You had a great line in our last podcast. I got to. I got to affirm you for that. You said, "If I can quote, the main <laughs> the main line is finding its voice again." I went back and I'm like, "Wow, that was a great line right there." Oh, and so, what we want to explore for the next few weeks is how the main line is finding its voice within the shifting sands of Christianity right now. Oh, good. Mm, that, was that, a, was, that was a previous title we were kind of mulling. That's well done. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. Uh, and so we've got four different uh, themes we want to explore. Some of these um, ways that um, the mainline church is um, uh, using its voice in a very, I think, helpful and formational way. Um, first, how we read scripture, biblical interpretation, we're going to explore that today, social justice, uh, LGBTQ+, and liturgical worship. So, for today, <laughs> let's talk about, can you do that again? That was awesome. I can't. It, it needs to be kind of a spontaneous thing for, it's like, for, for it to work. You can't do it that subtly. So we've been talking about um, the evangelical um, tendency to read Scripture in one way, in a very literal way. Yes. All of it is um, uh, essentially comes from God. It is meant to be read. Each word on the page is literally to be interpreted as the words on the page. This is the ultimate truth of God, these words on the pages. Which then caused, for the last ooh, 50 years or so, the mainline church, or more, to run from the Bible in some ways. Our previous podcast, we talked about that. Yep. Um, not sure how to then read the Bible, because there is a certain, there is a certain, I'd say, power that comes from reading it literally. It becomes very black and white. Well, if this is the ultimate truth of God, right then this is what God says. Yes. And how how in the world can you contradict what God says? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Which caused the mainline to um, kind of flee from the Bible in some ways. We still, we, we, we still read it. It still was a huge part of who we are, but we weren't really sure how, um, how to read it individually at times. Yeah, that yeah, that's exactly right. I, I would rephrase it to, to just that. 
it's not that the mainline church ran away from the from the scripture itself. The mainline church ran away from it never really developed because it was the evangelical church that really just took this and ran with it in in many beautiful ways actually. Um but never really pushed um, individual scripture reading as a spiritual discipline. Yeah. And as a result, scripture remained the central focus of, you know, uh, the oh. church and yeah. worship. Worship, yeah. Of course, but it was, you know, if, if the evangelicals were the ones who were, who were engaging in scripture reading um, robustly and enthusiastically, then the main line was kind of running away from what they thought the evangelical trends were, and this was included in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And along the way, uh, the world around the church, especially in Western culture, began to associate Christianity with biblical literalism and an approach to Scripture that literally took the words of the page to be the literal Word of God. And when we say literal word of God, what we mean, we would agree that scripture is the word of God. But in our tradition, the Reformed tradition, we differentiate the word of God, capital W, and the word of God, little w. It's not a terribly important point um, to understand exactly, exactly what we mean by this. But essentially what we're saying is that we believe that scripture reveals the truth of God, the truth of who God is and the truth of what God wills for humanity and indeed the whole world. And we believe we see that truth through scripture. We find it. Mm -hmm. So we see the capital W, the ultimate truth of God, mm -hmm. through the little w, right? The mm -hmm. scripture. But we don't necessarily simply say that you open up the Bible and you read it and what those individual words you're reading are the literal ultimate truth of God. Because so much has gone in to creating the, the stories and the pages that we know as the Bible. Yeah. And to begin with, the Old Testament and the New Testament are foreign language to Western speakers. The Old Testament is written in primarily in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written primarily in ancient Greek. So not even modern Greek, this ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. And the translation into English is not one-to-one. -one. So interpreters, it doesn't matter what English Bible you're, you're reading. It, let's just start there. No matter what Bible you're reading, you're reading someone's interpretation of the original language. Mm -hmm. So you're already not reading the literal Hebrew or the literal Greek. So we begin that conversation about how to read Scripture with an acknowledgement of the human interpretation. Yes. Yes. That there has to be, that the interpreters often had to make some choices. So especially in Hebrew, um, certain words would have, a single Hebrew word has three um, English words. And so often there is like an obvious, yes, it's that word when you look at the context yeah. of that, what it's written. But then you get into some situations where you go, ooh, this could be either word right here. This mm -hmm. is So already the interpreter, the translator has to make an interpretation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so from the Reformed understanding, right, from, from the mainline understanding, from the get-go, we try to acknowledge 
that the the discipline of reading scripture is really a journey. It is not a um, we're not reading a science book. We're not. This is not about um, developing pure um, in impartial data. That's not what scripture is at all. When we read scripture, we're interpreting. Uh, first of all, we're interpreting story. We're we're, terp- we're interpreting family stories and family histories that birth hundreds if not thousands of years were handed down before they were ever written down specifically the hebrew bible the, the hebrew the oral the oral tradition yes right and uh, you know brian mclaren does a really good job of this uh in the book that we we read as a church he calls it really a library he said the bible yeah. is really a library and it's filled with all kinds of books that come from all kinds of uh, places and points in time and contexts and circumstances. And genres. And genres, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so to understand that ultimate will of God and who God is and what God wills, to understand that, we in the mainline tradition believe that we have to understand kind of the foundation of what we're reading in order to get through that and understand what the ultimate will of God is. Mm -hmm. So in our tradition, there are things that we take to heart. Uh, And the first, well, this is in no particular order, but one of them is historical criticism, right? It is when was this text written by whom and what was the historical context uh, the Torah, for example, comes from its own context. Uh, it's the journey of Abraham that goes on from Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. And it, it tells a family story and how a family becomes a nation. Uh, and that's one part of the historical context. But then there's also this literary context, right? It, in that it was came down primarily as not actually written documents, but as oral tradition. Sure. And to think about context, it's helpful to think that the vast majority of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was written from a period of exile. Yeah, a great It was written with Israel and Judah being exiled in a different country, taken from their homes, their home kind of destroyed in many ways, but when you realize the majority of the Old Testament is written from that perspective, then you can start to kind of pull out some some threads. So that's like a huge overarching one. Amen. Yeah. So let's take that, for example, and let's jump, let's just jump. We're going to jump to um, some of the prophets, right? Yep. So... Uh, well, no, actually, let, let, we're in the Torah. Let me stay there for a second. Sorry. We're in the Torah. That, that tells the family history, right? And the, and the literary construct of that is largely oral tradition that eventually gets written down, right? There's also that cultural criticism. We have to understand that we're, we're talking about a patriarchal culture that had limited understandings of... Uh, power dynamics and relational dynamics because it was it would simply have been impossible for them to envision a world without slaves 
it was slaves were simply a part of life and they were foundational. Uh, I'm not condoning it by any stretch of imagination, but it was just such an ingrained part of life. They couldn't picture a world without slaves. Uh, and, and the power structure what gave power to men. Uh, and so the, the context of, of these things imbues what is written down. So th this is part of the context. So that's, that's Torah. Let's begin there. And then we go into like this kind of historical context of the Bible. Yeah. And so we're it's, just in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, now. we're just in the Old Testament. And it tells the history, right? It tells the, how, how we came out of this family and now Israel's a nation. And they, they, first they have judges and then they have kings. And the Bible literally tells you the history of, of this, but it writes it down as kind of a national history. So when you're reading Chronicles and Kings, it's important to understand that what you're reading is a huge helicopter view of a kind of of a faith-based understanding of the of the historical progression of this nation, Israel. Mm -hmm. It's really what you're reading there. And that so if you just open up the book of Kings and you don't understand that and you go to like Kings 3, chapter 2 and say, this is what God wills for you and for me. Well, let's step back for a second and understand that what God is saying in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 2 is actually being said to a nation that is in its infancy and really struggling to figure out who it is and how it's going to move forward in a huge world. You know, so, you know, is 3-2 literally word for word what God is saying to you? Or is this actually more about community and identity on a national level, mm -hmm. right? So these are things that are really important. And then from the historical context, then we go into this section called the major and minor prophets, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And here's the... The reason I wanted to talk about the historical section is I don't think you can really read the prophets without understanding the historical context of where Israel's coming from. Yeah, I'm going to agree you with you there. And we were talking about this earlier, and we were disagreeing a little bit on the Gospels. I agree with you there completely. I struggle reading it. I get yeah. I get two chapters in, and I kind of, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, it's... It's very confusing, yep. um, and because they are, they are writing to a specific period of time. They are writing not for two thousand years exactly from now, right. but they're writing to that period of time. What's going on within Israel at Amen. that moment? So to understand what the prophets are saying, and because there's a lot of judgment, and sometimes there's a lot of anger coming out of these books of the prophets, yeah. what is happening in the historical Israel at this time is that the nation is losing its way, right? It is losing the things that make them distinctively Hebrew. They're, they're falling away uh, in the scriptural marriage from the covenant that they share with God. And God sends prophets. And one of the things that the prophets do is they prophesy warning. And they prophesy consequence. There's consequence to sin. To sin and there's that these things are going to happen if you continue straying from the God of your covenant. So when we turn to the prophets and we see all this, what many interpret as anger in the prophecy, or a God, a God a punishing God, Again, this is not individual damnation that is being 
screen from the pages of Scripture, which it can sometimes seem this is all happening at a very national, huge level, right? And it's also judgment, not necessarily that is aimed at individual uh, people or even individual communities within it. A lot of the time it is prophesying, the prophets are prophesying against the people in power and how they are abusing power. Um, it is, it is uh, many times it's spe- speaking truth against people who, like today, are doing horrible things with their power or wealth, whatever yeah. it is. And another way we can look at it, too, is the writers, specifically of the Old Testament, are trying to wrap their heads around who is God in that period and in that specific time. Amen. Well said. Right? Yep. Like there is, there is, and I kind of see it, there's there's a slow progression, uh, and it'll shift a little bit when we get to the New Testament with mm-hmm. Jesus. He's got a very specific view of who is God. Um, yeah. But they're doing their best in that moment in terms of kind of um, uh, theological um, conversation of who is the divine to them, who is who is God in the midst of neighboring tribes that have other uh, interpretations and ideas of who God is? It's their way of understanding the mystery of God at that specific time. Amen. And so our job as readers of that, right, is not to necessarily, we believe in the mainline church, that our job is not to come to it and look at it very linearly and say, this is God's word to me here and now today for me to obey and follow and to condemn anyone who disagrees. It is to understand the cultural and historical context in which this was written and to look for the truth of who God is and the truth of what God wills, understanding that. It's it's really, you know, we use the, the word digging. It's well, digging for that truth, right? Yeah. Because we believe it's there. We believe it's we believe scripture speaks truth. But it's, you have to dig through the context in order to get to and it. And you have to look at it through at different angles and vantage points. Yep. I think that's been huge for me is and I heard this this um, used before, it's like looking at a bowl of fruit. Mm. And you look at a bowl of fruit and you look at that big apple, that orange right there, and that's what it is. Mm. But then when you come over here and look at it from this angle, you see the light reflects off a different place. Oh, there's a whole other piece of fruit that I missed from that angle right there. And so you have to look at it um, uh, not just one singular vantage point. And that makes it more challenging. There's no question about it. So let's jump into uh, the New Testament. Um, and so we start with the Gospels. How how do we start? How do we to, read the Bible? Our, how do we understand? Yeah, how, how do we take on the New Testament, and how do we try and understand that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I think for me, it's been helpful to not see the Gospel biographies, but to see them as um, a specific communities. Um, understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and so these, these Gospels might have been written by the example Matthew. Most likely was written by, passed on from Matthew to Matthew's specific community. 
and they've taken those stories. And so these stories um, speak directly to that community, mm. right? Because there are, they're not the same. The four, especially the first three, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have similar stories, but they have different stories too. Um, and then John is just totally wild. And then John is totally different because the Matthew, Mark, Luke were probably written anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 years after Jesus. And then John is written anywhere from, gosh, 60 to 70. At least. So you have a whole, again... They're writing from their own understanding, trying to make sense of who God is in the midst of... And they're writing... Right, exactly. They're writing from that and speaking to that. And and John's a really good gospel to, to do this with as well. Yes. John, many people interpret John as the most evangelistic gospel because John, it, the, the phrase believe, is repeated all throughout John. Uh, right. You know... Um, and you can read John very literally and come away with the understanding that you need to literally believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, God incarnate. Um, you have to trust in that or you are damned to an eternity of hell, right? Yeah. But at the same time, historically, we know that John was writing to a persecuted Christian community. Yeah. So John was writing to a community that already believed but they were being persecuted because they believed. Yeah. This goes back to the ancient Greek and interpreters now. So right into a very different community than Matthew, right. Mark, and Luke were. Different time a period. Di- a completely different time period and yeah. a con- different context. John wasn't necessarily writing to you in 2025 or 2021 or whenever it was. John was yeah. writing to those people in that time. And in the Greek, you can interpret the word believe differently. Uh, than as most interpreters do. And I and my cards are on the table. I actually believe that it, most Bibles interpret it incorrectly. It should be... Uh, trust. What's that? Trust. Well, I think it should be trust, but I also think it should be, what is it, present perfect. Uh, that you keep on... Not that you believe. I, John is not saying believe because he's talking to people who already do believe. John is saying, keep on believing. Mm-hmm. He's basically telling, he's encouraging a persecuted Christian community not to stop believing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which, in and of itself, if you understand that and you read John, it is so different than just thinking, oh, John's talking to me and saying, I am really screwed if I don't believe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you can easily read it and come away with those different things. So. The, the criticism, right, the cultural and historical criticisms are, are huge. So after the Gospels, then we get into the Epistles. Mm-hmm. We get into Romans and Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians and First uh, and Second Corinthians. And so here's where I'll give myself as an example, because I've had feet in both of these traditions, evangelical and in more of what we're talking about now, a mainline understanding. So... In my early 20s, when I was in more of the evangelical tradition, I would sit down and read uh, 1 Corinthians in a literal way. Literal way. Just whatever it said was uh, what was meant to be said. You know? And so, uh, and there, so what happened was I started to do a little digging. 
And here's where this understanding, it, it, you start small and then you start pulling these threads. And wait a second. So 1 Corinthians is a letter. Oh, it's, it's a letter written to a church in Corinth, Corinth, Greece. Okay. So it's written to a church in Corinth. So it's, it's written by a specific person, Paul, who helped form this church. And it's written to this church and is specific to this church. This church is, is struggling mightily in its um, community aspect. And so it starts to, oh, so there's, there's a context it's being written to. There's a specific author who has some clear thoughts on what they should do. Um, and then it's written at a specific time in the life of the church, in the life of that in the particular church. And so that's kind of how it starts. You start, the, the literal kind of gets you so far, but then when you start pulling some threads, you realize, oh, there's so many more layers to this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and you start to do that with Philippians. It's written to a church in Philippi. Ephesians, written to a church in Ephesus, mm -hmm. and you start kind of, you start kind of looking at those layers, and actually, this is where I think biblical interpretation is fascinating. I love this aspect of it, because you start to see this is not just this document that just dropped down from heaven, but it has human hands all over it and human minds all over it and those authors who wrote to those churches in Corinth are trying the same way to figure out how is God speaking to us right here and now. Amen. So well said. And that's where I think biblical interpretation gets incredibly exciting. Um, it is so interesting and, and enlivening. Amen. Yeah. And, and you go, and there's tons of resources. So yeah. let let's yeah. let's let's talk about it. So when you want to when you want to learn about all of this, when you want to read scripture, our at least mine, but I, I know it's yours too. Our biggest advice is don't just open up a plain Bible and start reading it without help or resources. Or, because there's a ton of them. Yes. Or don't start in Genesis. That's what I would say. Don't start in Genesis. I'm going to read through the Bible. Because you quickly get, you might get through Exodus. And you get to Leviticus, and you are going to close that thing and say, I don't know what they're talking about. Leviticus and Numbers are Personally, cool. I recommend starting in one of the Gospels. Mark. Sure, the or, shortest. or Matthew, or I mean, or John. Start in one of those Gospels. Or Luke. No, not Luke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Start in any of the Gospels, and work your way through the entire Gospel, um, and allow yourself to find meaning in it, but also to be okay with questions and struggle. Ask questions. That's perfectly yes. fine. Most weeks where I sit down to write a sermon, I come to some passage and I go, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. You know, that is expected and that's where kind of the work comes, the, the study and, okay, this makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But read through an entire gospel. Yeah. That's a great it place a great to, start. to start. And then at least this has been, that, that was my 
That's how I did it. And then I started working through some of these short epistles, these letters. And then eventually I started to go back and start digging into Old Testament books. Um, but I think gospel is the way to start. I don't disagree that starting starting with the gospel, um, but here's the secret for me, right? I don't ever read a Bible that's not a study Bible. Um, there's better study Bibles than others. I'm not going to give you a specific study Bible to go out and get, but I strongly recommend that if you're interested in reading scripture, you read a study Bible. Get a good, I, I recommend NRSV or NIV. These are different translations. Uh, our church, our tradition, uses tra NRSV. New yep. Revised Standard Version. It, yep. it, it seeks to be the most accurate. Um, and there's other more easily read versions that are called paraphrase translations. Um, the Good News Bible is a common one. Um, but uh, a study Bible is going to have an introduction to every single book that's going to give you the history a little bit of the historical context. Yep. A good one's going to give you even the literary context as well uh, and talk about the original audience of that book. Who is this book being written to? Who is it being written for? Then you turn in the pages and there's going to be little notes at the bottom or on the side that are sometimes really boring and you just ignore it. And then sometimes there's really, really good notes too. And those are going to help. They're not going to give you all the answers They're you're not. looking for. So here's a secret on how your pastors write sermons and how we dig into scripture, right? We read, we read the scripture and then we immediately go to what are called commentaries. Mm -hmm. And commentaries are written by biblical scholars. Others are reading who, the scripture. Who yeah. had done the research and the work of centuries and centuries of historical criticism and literary criticism and they bring out all these insights um some of which apply and and mm -hmm. and you know yeah. jive with us and some are like we're left scratching our head on yeah. um but there's a lot of good resources out that out there for you and before we began we were talking about N.T. Wright, mm -hmm. uh, a trusted author who yep. has who has good accessible books. What yep. are they called, Allison? Like N.T. Wright's mm -hmm. uh, so Mark for has, Everyone? Yep, that's what they're called. So the different books of the Bible yep. for everyone series. And there's some different yep. scholars in the Old Testament in that series. Mm -hmm. So we could easily go for another hour here. Easily go for another hour. And we don't have time to go for that. No, but I do want to finally hit on one more point because this this point is crucial for our understanding, right, of, of Scripture reading. So we take all of this context. One of the big differences within mainline and evangelical in, this, in our kind of broad approach that funnels down and a linear approach, right, we are open to an evolving understanding of what that truth of God is. Mm -hmm. So if we are a tradition that takes historical criticism seriously, what that means is as history changes and our understanding of history changes and as our understanding of ourselves changes, that almost necessitates an evolving understanding of Scripture. For example, LGBTQ, right? We're, we're going to we're gonna get to that. Paul's pretty clear in various places about that. Yeah. But at the same time, that it would be impossible for Paul to understand orientation the way we understand orientation today. Exactly. It, 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 it's, mm -hmm. it's in many ways comparing apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, there simply wasn't an ancient, word, an ancient Hebrew word for 
sexual orientation. Like, there's no word for homosexuality or heterosexuality. It just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, we, Scripture, valuing the, valuing it so much, and the truth within it so much, this is what I would say, uh, that we put in the work to dig for the truth it reveals. Well, and one way we could say it is we don't read Scripture literally, but we read it very faithfully. And intentionally. Yes. Yeah. So get a study Bible, get a resource. The Scripture is actually much more accessible than you may think. Thanks for being with us, everybody. We will see you on Sunday in person or virtually.